This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 439. Thanks to MetPro Nutrition Coaching for sponsoring the podcast. You can speak with a metabolic expert about your goals and get actionable steps towards fueling for performance, losing weight, adding muscle, or changing your body composition. Go to metpro.co slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. Thanks also to the Drury Hotel Company. If you're traveling in the U.S. this year, look for a Drury Hotel. They have free breakfast in the morning, and they also have free food and drinks in the evening, something they call the 530 kickback. You can use our link to save 10% on your stay. DruryHotels.com slash MTA for 10% off your stay. Hello and welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we bring you part two of Ask the Coach, as we field questions about nutrition, fueling, training plans, breaking two hours in the half marathon, considerations for perimenopause runners, running postpartum, how to race Boston, the impact of alcohol on training, and more. Lots of good stuff. And don't forget, also as a member of the Academy, if you feel like jumping in, you can get access to all of our training plans, podcast episodes, and talk to our coaches anytime inside our online group for members. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, tomorrow we are leaving for Tokyo. So by the time everyone hears this, we will be in Japan. Looking forward to meeting up with some listeners over there and doing the Tokyo Marathon. In this episode, we're going to jump into some great questions. We have two other coaches from our team who are going to be joining us, Coach Abby and Coach Cindy. Before we get into all the good stuff, the nuts and bolts, we want to give some proper words of congrats to some members out there doing some awesome stuff. We'd like to say congratulations to Alicia. She works with Coach Abby, and she recently finished the Santa Rosa Half Marathon. Alicia says, I was plagued with a high heart rate, side stitches, nausea, and by the end, a headache. It was a big test of my mental toughness. I wanted to walk, and for a minute, I thought about a DNF. However, I stuck it out, and I'm proud of that. And a few silver linings include finishing in 149.37, which is an almost six-minute PR. I was also the third overall female and first in my age group. Yeah, you never know even what a half marathon can throw at you. But it sounds like she was tougher than whatever the Santa Rosa half had to dish up that day, right? That's right. I'm sure she was glad that she pushed herself through those really challenging uh, physical feelings and it probably felt like a big boost to have such a great result. We'd like to also say congrats to Candice, who works with Coach Lynn. Uh, she's working on her 50-state marathon goal and just finished North Carolina. We'd also like to say congratulations to Kyle. He ran a perfectly paced six-minute half marathon PR at the Disney Princess Half Marathon, and he's in the middle of his marathon training block. Kyle's been working with Coach Chris on the team, and Coach Chris says that he's made great strides in his speed and endurance, boosting his VDOT score several points. Excited to see what lies ahead. He has the Cleveland Marathon up next. And then finally, we have this email from Michelle, who did one of our virtual uh, challenges that we launched in 2020. She says, hi, Angie and Trevor. This email is a long time coming. I was signed up for my second marathon, the Vermont City Marathon, when the pandemic hit. Then you guys came out with the social distancing run. I thought, this is great. I'll get a marathon training plan to qualify for Boston. 
I continued to do casual runs through the pandemic and ended up with a knee injury. It was coming to the end of 2020 and I still hadn't done my marathon to earn my social distance medal. So on December 30th, I put on my warm gear and went out to run my cul-de-sac neighborhood as I had three kids at home and I needed to be able to check in on them. People probably thought I was crazy. My Garmin map is a bunch of lines over and over each other, but I did it. I took my medal out of the package and hung it with the rest of my medals. I have you to thank because in my next marathon, I ran in Rhode Island and I trained using the training plan I got when signing up and I ended up Boston qualifying. I ran Boston in 2023 for the first time and also BQ'd during it. Wow, she's on a BQ roll then, right? Yeah, that is fantastic. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, Michelle, congrats everyone out there training and running races. We hope that this episode is helpful. We are joined by Coach Abby and Coach Cindy they will introduce themselves um, as soon as we jump on the call, but I can say that both of these ladies are tremendous assets to our team. They're, of course, certified running coaches and have years of experience coaching and also running marathons themselves. As you're going to hear, Coach Abby is also a triathlete. Coach Cindy uh, has finished over 25 marathons, and she was a former Division I uh, collegiate athlete. Thanks to everyone that sent in a question. We're going to get into a lot of great topics here is Ask the Coach Q&A, Part 2. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Now that I'm well on my way. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. All right, we're on the podcast now with Coach Cindy from Dayton and Coach Abby from Chicago. Welcome, ladies, to the MTA podcast. We'd like for folks to get to know you real quick here in the beginning. So, Coach Cindy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Do you have kids? Uh, and what got you interested in being a running coach? Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be on the show. Um, I am a mom of five. We're a military family stationed here in Dayton, Ohio area. And I've uh, been a runner for a long time. I've actually been an original listener of the podcast for many years. <laughs> and I uh, always remember we were stationed over in England for about eight years, always listening, saying, oh, I can't wait to do all these races when I come back to the States. <laughs> uh, so it's been great to kind of follow along the journey. And what got me into being a running coach, just all the things running. You know, I made a lot of mistakes when I started off as a long distance runner. I was a sprinter in college and did the heptathlon. And about 15 years ago or so, I started getting into long distance because I really enjoyed it after having babies and loved it. Didn't know how to do anything, made all the mistakes. And, and here I am as a running coach trying to help people because people aren't as bullheaded as I am to make all those mistakes and keep, <laughs> keep running. But um, <laughs> it's been a great journey. It's been awesome. Running is, has meant a lot to me over the years. And it's a little bit about me. Okay, Coach Abby. We'll start with the kids. I have two. They are both in their early 20s. So they're grown up. We're empty nesters now. Uh, as far as coaching, you know, I have a very long history with running, you know, did cross country and track in high school, and then had a long period where I was kind of in and out, you know, college, moving around, getting married, having kids. Um, in my later 30s, I was finally diagnosed with hypothyroidism, which was just life changing. And it was the point when my kids were getting old enough that I could uh, invest a little bit more time in running. So I did a half marathon, did a marathon, 
qualified for Boston. And very quickly, I found that people were coming to me for advice, partly just because I like to read a lot and like to learn. And so people identified me as a resource. And I thought, well, if I'm going to give people advice, I better know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so that just started me down this path. I went back to school. I ended up with a master's degree in exercise physiology. I got certified as a personal trainer and then as an RRCA coach. Uh, I've added on health and wellness coach certifications and most recently USAT triathlon coach. Well, we got some great questions sent in from listeners and members and all kinds of folks. So let's start with some questions about motivation. This is from Maria. She says, how do you motivate yourself after taking a six month break? Abby, any thoughts on how do you motivate yourself after taking a six month break? The first thing that comes to my mind is simply set a goal and make it small, but big enough to motivate you. And for me, it would be a 5K, right? If I was coming off a break that long, I would look for a 5K and look for something that's going to be fun to do, something you're going to just look forward to the race day itself, no matter what your training looks like. And it might also help with a 5K. They're always being used as fundraisers. For all kinds of charities. So find one that's raising money for a cause that's meaningful for you or that some of your friends want to do, you know, or whatever. But setting a small goal two or three months out, enough that you're going to see real progress in that time and have something really substantial to show for it. Yeah. Yeah. Just sign up. You'll force yourself into training again. I like to look at it as a forced self-development program. Like you're putting yourself through boot camp to get ready. Because it's going to come. You, the calendar will not stop. Ready or not. That's like Tokyo for us in one week, right? <laughs> okay, this next one's from Stephanie. She says, I'm wondering how to stick with a training plan if you have chronic disease and pain that can flare off and on. How can I balance staying positive and realistic? Yeah, so we're not sure what the chronic disease and pain is. She didn't specify, but have any of you dealt with that? And any thoughts for Stephanie? Well, I have with the hypothyroidism and more recently with uh, some chronic asthma. So I've just been through periods when it was just a struggle, when doing anything was a struggle. It probably is not the same thing because she's talking about pain. I didn't necessarily have pain, but particularly when my thyroid was just really messed up for a while, I would just have good days and bad days. And I never knew what it was going to be until I started running. A bad day, I would be struggling to run two or three miles at, hmm. you know, at a low pace. A good day, I might be able to do a fairly decent tempo workout and go out and run 10 miles or so and maintain my pace, right? Uh, so the key is to try to just get out the door and start, but be flexible, be open to say, what does today look like, right? Do your warm up and then say, is this a good day? And I can push myself a little. Is this a bad day? And it's just going to be a few miles easy and then go in and stretch, you know, do some yoga or something. I think that flexibility, the openness, if you're working with a coach, they can kind of give you, you know, a plan A and a plan B. And then they can tell you when you're looking at the rest of the week, okay, this was a bad day. I had to skip the planned intervals and just do a little bit. Maybe I feel better later in the week. Do I try to get that workout in in another day or just let it go? Either one may be the right answer, just depending just be flexible. And I, I'm still like that even now because of the asthma, it's been particularly with swimming. I get in the pool and some days I just start slow and just get slower and slower and slower and just can never find a rhythm with the breathing and stuff. Other days I get in, my airways opened up, I get a great rhythm and it's fantastic. And I never know, honestly, it, there's nothing before I get in the water that tells me what kind of day it's going to be. 
And so I don't really go with a specific plan for swimming workouts. Don't tell anyone that. That's a crap on <laughs> But I kind of have a plan A and plan B. I'm like, if it's a good day, I'm going to do this. If it's a bad day, I'm going to do some drills, do a few you know, 100s and just call it good. It's better than doing nothing. I like it. Here's one from Adrienne. Um, and I'm, I'm not qualified to answer this question because it's about getting up early in the morning for long runs. How can I stay motivated as mileage ramps up, especially when it means waking up early for those long runs solo? Angie, that sounds like your first marathon when you had to get up and bang out your runs before I went to work because our kids were young and in diapers. Yeah, I think that's the experience for, for many runners because they have a pretty fixed schedule with work or other responsibilities. And so it, the struggle is real. Let me just, <laughs> I've been there. I know how that is. Uh, Cindy, you've got five kids. You know, you've got a busy life, yep. work. Um, You're a military family. You guys don't think twice about getting up early to do stuff. <laughs> don't assume. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think back to my first marathon uh, back in 2011, and uh, I was uh, partner up with another mom, new mom. I just had a baby. Uh, I was about seven, eight months postpartum when I started training. And I think both of us were postpartum and nursing and all the things. So I kind of joke, we used to compare how much sleep we would get going into the long runs and it'd be three or four hours or whatever. But, hmm. you know, having somebody, you know, kind of wake up with you or do part of the miles with you is really great uh, to meet. And there's a lot of people that can do some of it, if not all of the work with you. So that's one of the things that I've utilized. Um, and just having that goal in front of me, you know, knowing that I'm training for something that's a big goal that I've never done before or something, a new location or, you know, whatever that goal is, having that visual in front of you and thinking about that throughout. i big fan of, of having goal posters and putting pictures in place, whatever that helps to motivate you to kind of get out of the door, those long runs when it's dark <laughs> and very dark and nobody else is awake except for you. But as a mom of five, I enjoy waking up before my kids because I know I can have that, that quiet time <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, it really <Yep>. helps. <laughs> I was going to say that I think sometimes you can reframe it to be like, um, I don't have to do this long run. This is a opportunity for me to have that time. Obviously, you're still challenging yourself. It's not like a vacation, but it is. It's time when there's no one asking you questions. Nothing is being demanded of you other than doing your mileage. And I like to save sometimes an audiobook that I'm really into for a long run. And it kind of gives you an incentive if you can pair the long run with something else that you enjoy, gets you a little more excited to be out there because it can be really difficult, especially in the winter, you know, if it's cold, plus dark, plus early, it's a challenge. <laughs> I like it. I don't have to do my long run. I get to do it. It's a big change of attitude. I like it. Uh, we got some questions about training plans. And all three of you ladies have written training plans, so we get to dive into some coaching wisdom here. This first question is from Robert. I'm just kidding. Robert? <laughs> just see if you caught that. He's French. This first, <laughs> this first question is from Robert. Robert says, I'm following a marathon training plan from a running magazine with a specific marathon goal in mind. The plan calls for running six days a week with cross training such as cycling on the rest day. But I cycle to work five days a week and the route is a fairly hilly five miles each way. Am I overdoing it and potentially jeopardizing my marathon goal by doing too much? Should I cut back the running days to allow more recovery? I don't know. I see red flags right there. <laughs> Six days a week. What do you guys think? 
I think that just the fact that he's questioning it may be a concern. You know, it's hard to know without talking to him about what symptoms and signs that he's having that might be overdoing it. You know, how, mm. how are the legs feeling? How's the body feeling? How does he feel mentally? You know, cause it tends to be, if it's too much mentally, it's going to be hard to complete the marathon training um, and arrive at the marathon feeling good. Um, so I think those are some of the big questions that I would have uh, with doing too much. And we don't know anything about his running background, but what kind of runner at what level is doing six days a week typically? It depends. I mean, some people like to run most of the days of the week. You know, however, probably a marathon training plan that has six days a week and advises that you cross train on your rest day might be for a more fast time goal. I'm just making an assumption here. Yeah, it sounds pretty advanced. I think the the biggest red flag for me was that they advised doing something on the rest day, you know, six days a week of running and then advising to do something on the rest day, plus the fact that he cycles. Abby, what are your thoughts? Because I know as a triathlete, you do have to double up. You do have to get in (laughs) a lot of stuff during a training plan. (laughs) Exactly. I am a very big believer on the rest day and having one day a week that's a true, complete rest. I, I might go for a walk. I try not to actually walk too far. It's actually possible to overdo it even with a walk. So yeah, that's the first thing is to just have one day that's a rest day. As far as the cycling goes, it's kind of a big depends because if he's been doing this every day for a long time, it's probably not putting extra strain on him, but it still might be. So I would say look at the recovery runs because surely with six days a week, some of those are easy recovery runs. And should he just drop one or two of those and say the cycling is enough on those days? Probably, right? But again, it depends. Um, Or maybe shorten the recovery runs, right? Instead of doing 30 minutes or 40 minutes, do one or two miles, just enough to loosen up the muscles. But also paying attention to how he feels is kind of what you said before. Does he feel recovered after a recovery day? Or does he go out and do a recovery run and feel more tired than he did before? that recovery day. So if that's the case, then yeah, he definitely needs to come back. If he's doing those recovery runs and really feels recovered afterwards, then it's fine. That's also where some heart rate data would be helpful, right? To see if he's Mm -hmm. truly rested. I know Angie has this aura ring where you can see how rested you are. Yeah. Heart rate variability. There's, you know, a lot of factors that you can use to judge those kind of things. But obviously at the end of the day, you have to decide how you feel. You know, the numbers can say one thing, but even if my aura ring says I am quote, totally recovered, (laughs) if I feel tired, if I feel like I'm dragging, like I'm coming down with something like that doesn't matter. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to take a rest day. So, you know, he knows his body the best. If he thinks that this might be too much, it probably is. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Good stuff. This next one is from Vaughn. He's an Academy member. I trains with coach Lynn actually, and I got to meet him at the Richmond marathon last year. He says, how many marathons can an average 30 mile a week runner complete in a year and stay healthy? Are there any guidelines about realistic limits? So it sounds like he's found his sweet spot. He likes to do 30 miles a week. How many marathons in a year can one do? The sky's the limit, right, ladies? <laughs> sure, it I had a client, you know, who did 12 marathons last year. Wow. Is it MTA client? Yeah. Yeah, one of our MTA, Heather. Oh, yeah. Right? She did 12 marathons yep. uh, last year. So the answer is it depends on how fast he wants to run them. If he wants to race and really, like, be pushing for PRs or BQ 
two and maybe three. But if he's willing to approach it more like a training run for an ultra where you just go as slow as you want and you don't care how long it takes, you could do that once a month. Mm -hmm. Just going to agree pacing. It's really depending on what the goal is. You know, you might have a marathon maniac that is trying to do qualify or (laughs) do a lot of races in a a short time. Then that goal is going to be different uh, with pacing for the races. You know, maybe it's somebody that actually is a pacer for a run and does a lot of pacing. You know, if, if they're doing lower volume or lower intensity running, then yeah, they can definitely do a lot more. And remember years back, I've done five, six marathons in a year. It, it takes a toll on you. You have to think about that recovery time. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big piece too. So the year is still young and I'm wondering what, what everyone has planned this year for marathons. Angie, I know you're doing uh, Tokyo cause I'll be there. Yes, I'm just really going to see how Tokyo goes for me. Um, Perimenopause has been kind of eating me up and spitting me out lately. So I'm really just kind of having to take it a little bit like a day at a time, (laughs) Mm. which is hard for me as a type A person who likes to have my entire life planned out. I'm having to like let go of the reins a little bit. So I'm waiting until after Tokyo to register for anything else. But yeah, definitely a half marathon in May when we go to the Rebel White Mountains. White Mountains, that's right. You know, I'll just kind of see how the year plays out, but lots of opportunities. How about you, Abby? I know you just got back from somewhere, right? Yes, I just did the Mason Marathon two weeks ago. Uh, coming up, my next thing is I'm doing a 75K Trail Ultra in Traverse City, Michigan in May. Wow. I'm really excited about. That's an odd number, isn't it? 75K? <laughs> it is, yes. Their course is a 25K loop. Okay. So they have 25, 50, 7,500 K options. So you can bail at 50 if you want. <laughs> well, I could, but I wouldn't get a finish. You won't. Find up to 75. <laughs> but I could. get your money's worth. <laughs> exactly. I paid extra to do that extra loop, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited because even though I was very beat up by Mesa two weeks ago, I feel recovered. I feel ready for Good. the long, slow distance of ultra training. So very excited to get started in that. After that, I'm doing an iron distance triathlon in mid-September. Nice. Wow. Have you done a full Ironman before? I have. I did the same event. Uh, It will have been eight years ago. So going back to it again, it's it's a lot of investment, obviously, to train for an iron, just the time, particularly on the bike. You know, it's not something I want to do every year, but it's a good mix, right? Take a little break from the high volume of ultras as far as running and do high volume cycling instead. Nice. Well, my year looks quite easy compared to all that. (laughs) As one would expect. (laughs) Cindy, what about you? Um, I've got some shorter races uh, coming up, uh, rock and roll in DC in March and, um, I'm going to do Smoky Mountains. I like that. Those vacation races, those are fun. I got to do that last year. And I like the challenges, the 5K, you know, when they have the 5K, 10K half or whatever that is. Uh, Flying Pigs, I did the challenge last year. That was fun in the rain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then my big race, I'm trying to shoot for Honolulu. That's on the bucket list uh, to get to Hawaii and run that. I've heard great things about that. And uh, that's my goal. Are you trying to do all the vacation races, like all the parks? Yes, I'd like to. It might take me forever, but I, um, I'll try. <laughs> yeah. We'll have added new parks by then, right? <laughs> yeah. Do they do Big Bend National Park in Texas? I don't think so. Okay. I was just there last week and thought, man, this is an epic place to run. Not in the summer, though, for yeah. sure. 
We're gonna move on now to nutrition and fueling. Okay, so this first one is from Allison. She says, what are your thoughts on the effects of alcohol on training and recovery? Should you avoid all alcohol during a training cycle or is light to moderate consumption okay? What about a post-workout libation for recovery? Yes. Seems like training group runs often end at a local drinking hole, and I'm wondering if this is a good idea. Yes. All right, you're not a coach, since so we're not talking to you right now. <laughs> Well, I'm a big discourager of alcohol. I won't just say a hard no, but this is what alcohol does to your body. Uh, it dehydrates you, right? So it's if you're trying to rehydrate or be hydrated for your next long run, it's going to impede that. It impairs metabolism of macronutrients because your body is always going to prioritize breaking down the alcohol and clearing that out, which means it's not taking in and using carbs, proteins, fats like it should. Number three, this is a big one that a lot of people don't know, is alcohol messes with your sleep. Mm. You know, hydration, food, sleep are the three big ones for recovery, right? And alcohol messes with all three. Your sleep quality is impaired. So if you are a person who drinks regularly, I would just say try to cut back during big training cycle. Avoid drinking the night before your long runs. After a big run, make sure you've had some water and something to eat before you have that post-race beer. I gotta say, I did dry January and I did have some non-alcoholic beer and there's some really good non-alcoholic beer now. So try that. Yeah, if you need the taste, but you don't want all the negative side effects. I was just- Still feels like a celebration. I just saw this morning the World Health Organization classifies alcohol as a class one carcinogen. And it's right up there with asbestos, radiation, and oh, come on. you know, and tobacco. So it's like <laughs> you know, like if you just Google like the effects of alcohol on training or the effects of alcohol on recovery, there there's no one saying it's good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, but people do have lives that include alcohol. And so I think you have to balance how to be responsible with it. Cindy, what are your thoughts? I kind of agree with Abby, um, although I've had friends to train for some of these races, the one in big one in France where they drink along the course. So those friends were practicing <laughs> their <laughs> training with drinking so they could be prepared for race day. Um, but really, you know, I agree with some of those side effects, knowing how alcohol affects you. I've had a lot of people as a trainer over the years trying to lose weight and doing all the things right, except, you know, they'd be drinking on the weekend. It's like, hey, well, maybe if you reduce that, it will help you know, your body burn fat and improve your metabolism a little bit better to help with that. So if I have somebody coming to me as a goal of, hey, I'm, I'm training for a marathon and I'm also trying to watch the weight, then yep, let's go ahead and, and mix the alcohol, see how you feel, you know, do that training without that so we can improve their, their goals and, and, and get them to what they're trying to do. So. All right. This one's from Stephanie. She says, I know fueling recommendations are individual but what would be an optimal carbohydrate per hour range to shoot for? All right, Coach Abby, you were just at a conference. You said- That's uh, right, yes. I just came from the ACSM Health and Fitness Summit in Chicago this weekend. And one what of the- What is that? ACSM is American College of Sports Medicine. Okay. They are the organization that I have my physical trainer credential with. And they're very big for exercise for different populations, right? So it's not just your healthy population, but how do you train somebody who has diabetes or cancer or heart disease, whatever, right? So it's a, it's a really good organization. They're very good about saying what is evidence-based. 
So one of the presentations was uh, nutrition for endurance sports. So I got, you know, the very latest of all of the recommendations for during long runs. If your long run is over 75 minutes, that's when you need to, to make sure you're getting some carbohydrates in during the run. Uh, from that, about an hour up to three hours, the goal is 30 to 60 grams an hour, which I'm like, that's a huge range, right? Uh, 30 is about one energy gel. So, you know, is it one energy gel? Is it two? That's going to depend a little bit. Really, from what I've read, it's as much as your stomach will tolerate. The more you can get in, the better, but not to the point of making yourself sick. If you're long run, this is more for the ultra marathons when you're going longer than three hours, 60 to 90 grams per hour. And then it just really becomes eating as much as you can. That's why they eat so much junk food out there. Well, calorie dense. We'll just say that very calorie dense products. Yes. Let's go to this question from Adrienne. What are simple ways to increase caloric count as mileage ramps up? So maybe this is kind of, we can riff on that last question. Maybe it's hard for people to get more than one gel an hour down the hatch, right? Or maybe she's talking about everyday life, not necessarily running. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can answer both. Yeah. Um, I think uh, if she's just trying to increase her calories, um, you know, if somebody that's just daily caloric intake as you're doing more miles, it's really trying to increase frequency of your meals, thinking about adding in good dietary um, fat sources. I think about things like um, peanut butter, tree nuts, avocado to each of those meals, um, and then trying to work on getting good carbohydrate in with each of the meals. Um, your complex and your simple, simple carbs, I think about like, you know, in the morning, oatmeal with maybe added fruit uh, to kind of increase that uh, throughout the day. So a couple of things that, that come to mind. It's an interesting question because I don't think I've ever had problems increasing my calories. It's usually the other way around for me. Well, some people have trouble keeping weight on, you know, when they're doing endurance training. Mm. Um, so that can definitely be an issue for people. Abby, what were you thinking? Um, I was just going to say on that note, when I was training for an ultra this past fall, I lost weight uh, for about a month. You know, the first week or two, you're like, well, that could just be a normal fluctuation. But after three, four weeks of a steady decline, I'm like, okay, this is me under fueling. And I've never had that problem before. So yeah, I just step back and say, how can I eat more, <laughs> get more in during the day? One of my absolute favorites is homemade cookies, right? I don't, especially with it just being me and my husband, I don't bake a whole lot. So when I'm doing high volume, that's my excuse to bake some cookies, whatever I feel like. And then I can just add that in as an extra snack throughout the day. Um, fruit is always good, right? You know, added a couple extra pieces of fruit, a nice smoothie where you get protein and fruit, you know, and whatever else you want to throw in will get you some calories without a lot of extra work. This would be a good time to recommend working with a nutritionist um, from MetPro. They are especially good if you're pursuing a performance goal. Uh, and also trying to change your body composition. You could put people on the exact same eating plan, diet, exercise plan, and everyone's body is going to respond a little bit differently. And so I think that is the beauty of MetPro. They connect you with your coach, the person who's going to be working really closely with you in the midst of the onboarding process. They kind of give you like a baseline meal plan that you do for a few days and you're tracking in the app, which is really handy and convenient. And they just see how your body responds to that baseline plan. And then depending on your goals, they will up or down adjust you from there. So adding or subtracting certain macronutrients. And the beauty of the plan is that 
it is changing enough so that your body doesn't get used to what it's doing and plateau. You'll have weekly calls with your nutrition coach as well as unlimited texting. And so they just give you a lot of support. And I think fitting it into your lifestyle is key. And that nutrition coach is there every step of the way to help you with that. Yeah, so check it out. Go to metpro.co slash MTA. Tell them that we sent you. You'll save some money, 500 bucks, in fact. Metpro.co slash MTA. This one's about pacing from Emily, who's a coaching client. She says, what tips do you have for a pacer during a marathon? I'm going to be pacing my mom to help her qualify for Boston during the Eugene Marathon, and I want to be as helpful as possible. Should I run in front or alongside? Should I get her water? Should I hand her gels when it's time to fuel? Thanks for your help and a big shout out to Coach Abby, who is coaching both of us in working towards our BQ goals. (laughs) Mother-daughter combo (laughs) running the Eugene Marathon in Eugene, Oregon. Do you all have any experience pacing someone through a marathon? Yeah, I have a few times. Did you have a whip, uh, like whip them along? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it helps to be, you know, have uh, be a fitness instructor. So I, you know, have a lot of different uh, <laughs> changes in voice we can, <laughs> we can do on the course and especially towards the end um, and music and all the things. But, you know, I really think about just the communication, whether you're pacing somebody or running with a friend, make sure before you get to that, especially a big marathon, make sure you talk about what the plan is because you're always going to have somebody that's going to be faster than the other or something happens, you know, are you going to stay together um, with her trying to get a BQ? You know, what does she want? Does she want the gels to be handed to her? You know, I had a client recently that was on a, a long run with somebody and they kept running in front of them and it annoyed them. I said, you just need to pull her aside, let her know that this is not okay <laughs> for you. Um, and it, and just kind of have that communication ahead of time. Yeah, Abby, what have you been advising Emily to do? Well, mostly I'm making sure Emily isn't getting her mom running too fast. (laughs) Emily's a pretty fast runner. I'm like, you have to do these long runs at your mom's pace. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Exactly. You know, working on the pacing just overall. And for her to be in the habit of running at that pace, right, so that she's ready to help her through the whole race. Um, Practice, communicate, you know, what is going to be best for the water? Is it going to be best for her mom just to pick up the water herself or save her a little bit of energy to get it for her. Running alongside is probably generally the best, but here's the thing. If it's a windy day, run a little bit in front and, you know, break the wind a little bit for her. Well, good luck to both of you uh, if you're hearing this. Okay, let's talk about the Boston Marathon. This is from Saskia. I will be running Boston this year. I love some tactical advice. What would you do differently in Boston compared to other big city marathons, if anything? So Coach Abby, we got to meet you at the Boston Marathon a couple of years ago. So what, what would you say to Saskia? Yeah, I've done Boston twice. The biggest thing in training is to make sure you are putting some hills in the middle of your long runs, some good size hills. If you live where I am, that's a challenge to do, but you know, do your best, get some uphill there when your legs are starting to get tired uh, and work on pacing those hills so that you're not tying yourself out running up them. The nice thing about Boston, once you get to the top of Heartbreak Hill, you've got a long downhill and mostly flat after that. You know, those last few miles, if you are not exhausted, those last few miles are wonderful. Uh, So 
Boston is all about don't run too hard at the beginning because it is mostly downhill at the beginning. Gradual, but still it's a lot of downhill at the beginning. You really have to hold back. Don't let yourself go too fast. If you pace those first 13, 14 miles right when you get to the hills, you're going to feel strong. You'll be passing the people who went out too fast and then you're going to come down Heartbreak Hill and just feel good. There you go, Saskia. Boom. Execute now. <laughs> do exactly what we tell you to do and you won't fail. <laughs> well, we can't give that guarantee. But <laughs> Angie always walks back anything I say. <laughs> Angie, you've run Boston like three, four times. Three times. What would you tell her? What's the- I mean, I agree with everything Abby said. It's, you know, I think if you look at it tactically, pace yourself smart. There's going to be so much excitement at different places along the course. And it can be really easy to like burn yourself out, getting fired up by the crowd in different places. So you really have to just, you know, stay within yourself, run your own race, use that to gain energy, but don't let it push you outside of what you need to be doing out there. Um, And, you know, then it's just general marathon stuff. Stay on top of your fueling, your hydration. I mean, Boston can be notoriously fickle for either being too hot or too cold. So, you know, you have to really take that into consideration. Um, Another thing with Boston is that it's a later start time than a lot of races are. So you have to really adjust your morning nutrition Mm -hmm. so that you're fueled well, um, not too much, not too little. (laughs) And, you know, running like late morning, early afternoon is often a time that a lot of us don't do our long runs. So it might be helpful to do a long run, maybe start it at 11 (laughs) in the morning and just to kind of simulate what that might feel like for your body. But it's it's such a great marathon. It's really an exciting one. So the most important thing is go out there and have fun. (laughs) Yeah, I would add in, don't go with the goal of getting a PR. Hopefully you can get another BQ, but even don't stress about that goal with the idea that you're going to enjoy being there because it is a fantastic experience. Now we're going to talk about breaking two hours in the half. This is from Bridget. She says, I'm at a plateau. I just can't shake. I've been trying to break two hours for a half for years. She says she's been between 2.03 and 2.13 as driving her nuts. I'll take whatever ideas anyone has. Yeah, that's a good goal to break two hours and a half. I know a lot of people have that goal. Coach Cindy, any ideas for Bridget? All the things, right? You know, first of all, the fact that she's been trying to do this for a few years, that would be frustrating. So just kind of taking that step back to kind of assess where she's at. It would be nice to talk to her (laughs) and just give her some pointers because I'm sure there's something. Even coaches have coaches. So, you know, trying to think what are we doing wrong? You know, some of us have more speed than others. Some of us are better on the endurance. Sounds like she may need to work on speed work, kind of throwing in some 5K, 10Ks, some tempo work if she's not doing that already thinking about weekly mileage you know what does that mileage look like is she consistent Um, cross training are we doing some you know added strength training and things to add to that working with the coach you know I think that's the thing if she's that you know been doing it for this long and trying to get there working with the coach we can talk about you know what races to kind of shoot for that might be flat and fast and um, getting that time down for her definitely We often look at when someone comes to us, there's areas of leverage that a coach has where you can dial in the training. There's several things you can adjust, like the fueling, the speed work, the cross training, the rest, the recovery. So what a coach does is kind of look over what you're doing already, what your recent times have been, what your fitness level is, your, your health history, and then see where are those levers that they can adjust to get you where you want to go. Yeah, I would like to particularly take a look at nutrition. A lot of people think they don't need to worry about fueling a half marathon, 
But mm. you remember what I said about fueling a long run over 75 minutes, you need to be getting some carbohydrates in. So a two hour half marathon, at least one gel, if not two, you know, uh, yeah. or a gel and sports drink with sugar, something, because sometimes that's all it is that they're just not taking an energy gel and getting an energy gel an hour in is going to make that second hour feel a lot better. Fuel before you need it. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about strength training now. One of Angie's favorite topics. We got a good question here from Angelica. She says, when should I do my leg strength workout? Do I do it on the same day that I run or on the next day when I'm not running? And if I do it on the next day that I'm not running, would this cause the legs to not be rested? So what day do you do it, Angie? Well, it depends on how many days a week you run. Obviously, I like to do mine on Mondays because I typically either do my long run on a Friday or Saturday. So it gives me a couple days to recover. And then I like to hit it hard on Monday with heavy lower body and then do like a recovery run on Tuesday. And then by the time I roll into like either a speed workout or a long run, then my legs are usually recovered. So that's what's worked well with me. I mean, I like the philosophy, keep your hard days hard and your easy days easy. So I would sometimes do two a day workout. So I could do like prioritize my run that day, maybe do like hills that morning for my run. And then after I've fueled and maybe had some recovery time, do lower body. But hmm. that's kind of just been my pattern is do it early in the week. <laughs> yeah. But it depends on like when you're doing your key workouts, when you're doing your long runs, it's different for everyone. Sometimes you don't really have the option, you know, I mean, sometimes you have to kind of get it in there. And so, you know, obviously looking at when you're timing that leg day with that next hard effort, uh, making sure that there's some space there. Um, and then if you are in strength training, <laughs> you know, adding it in, doesn't have to be anything fancy, doesn't have to be a lot, but getting some work in, getting the something focused on the quadriceps, the hamstrings, the hips, glutes. I'm, I'm a big fan of working on hip and glute strength uh, and core work to help all of those folks that sit too much during the day. So um, that's kind of important too, to kind of think about. I'm a big fan of do it when you'll do it. <laughs> you know, we can talk a lot about what's the ideal, but it's better to do some than to do nothing. And mm -hmm. so if you can do your hard workout and do the strength later in the day, that's probably ideal. But if you're just not going to have time or energy or whatever, then do it on your recovery day when you have a short run and you have a little bit more time for it. Just do something. I agree. I think sometimes that holds people back from even starting strength training. They're like, I have to have the perfect plan. I have to have the perfect schedule. And like, it never lines up perfectly. Life is always full of variables. Um, so definitely start something and <laughs> do it imperfectly at first if you have to. You don't have to get it right. You just have to get it going. <laughs> someone said. Mm hmm. Okay, let's talk about Masters Runners. This is from Frank. He says, there are very few books and articles about uh, running for people that are 68 years old. Articles focusing on Masters Runners are typically speaking to people in their 40s. He says, I think there needs to be a different category at some point, maybe for people 65 and up. We'll call those ultimate masters or something. There's a term called grandmasters. Sometimes okay. it's, I yeah. guess I've seen 60 and up, sometimes even as low as 50, which I think is kind of weird, but yeah. Oh, that's cool. He says, I can't get a training plan that suits me and keeps me healthy. So where do we turn as older runners to get the guidance needed? Do you know, I was just talking last week to a friend of mine who's in that age range and he still runs. I don't know that he's doing marathons anymore, but he's just like, I just like being out there 
and I just like to keep moving. So it depends a lot on just where he is health-wise. The number one goal is, of course, to not get injured. And a lot of times at that age, it does mean slowing down a bit, but not necessarily. <laughs> it means really emphasizing strength training and protein intake, right? Um, there's a lot of evidence, a lot of studies on, you know, 70 and up. There used to be this belief that you just lost muscle, no matter what. Once you're over 50, you're going to lose muscle. The recent research says that's simply not true. If you get enough protein and the stimulus from strength training, you not only don't lose muscle, but you can still build muscle it well into wow. your 70s. So don't give up on it. Really take the time. The strength training is important for everyone, like we talked about, but especially the older you get, the more important it is. And getting enough protein so that your body has what it needs to build muscle. I would emphasize that. And while I say slow down, you still need to do some high intensity stuff, but keep it a very low volume, right? Go out, do some one minute sprints, two minute sprints, you know, maybe a little bit of tempo. It kind of depends on what your goal is, but just a little bit, a little bit goes a long ways. And then just run easy and whatever that means. If it means taking walk breaks, take walk breaks, uh, whatever it takes so that you don't have pain or injuries. You know, I was thinking about a few of the folks that I've worked with um, over the past couple of years that were over age 60 and just kind of looking at their um, training cycle, doing more of like a 10-day training cycle versus a seven-day uh, cycle, um, and then incorporating not just the running, but other things, cross-training, mobility work. I'm a big fan of flexibility and mobility work because we need to be able to move joints as we get older, and that's important, <laughs> um, not just running, um, and then doing what we can might be tailoring that running a little bit, like she said, doing some faster stuff, but then also some slower stuff, seeing what works works with the athlete, with the person. There are a couple of books that, you know, I know Jeff Galloway's got a book out, um, Running Until You're 100, and he's got a couple mm -hmm. of books for that. So there are a few out there, but he's right. There isn't as many resources uh, for, for that age group. Running Until You're 100, probably a lot of people know who Jeff Galloway is. He's a run, walk, run guy. That's a great plan to look at, mm -hmm. I think, if you're uh, concerned. And there's this dude in Cincinnati. I don't know if you guys know him. His name is uh, Mike Fremont. The guy's 102, and he's going to do the Flying Pig Mile. He's good friends with Harvey Lewis, the ultra runner. So I see these videos, and this guy can still do pull-ups at his age. It's pretty amazing. you know. And here's the book that I, I couldn't think of the name earlier. It's called Train Smart, Run Forever by Bill Pierce and Scott Murr. Uh, we had them on the podcast in 2017. And Cindy, you mentioned a 10-day training plan. Uh, so you're only doing your long run every 10 days instead of every seven. Uh, the secret sauce of this book is a 10-day training plan. So Frank, if you haven't checked that one out, you might enjoy it. I think there are training plans actually in that book. And of course, we do work with runners of all ages yeah, I was going to say some of my favorite coaching clients are in their 60s and 70s. And, you know, sometimes we would do every other weekend long runs. So it would be more like a 14-day cycle. Um, so I think it, it's all about trying things, keeping what works for you, and just moving on from the things that don't. And there are differences when it comes to grandmaster runners, too. There's people who are brand new to running, which I love it when people in their 60s, 70s run for the first time. Um, that is so amazing. There's people who are returning to it from a long break. So maybe they ran when they were younger. And then there's people who have just been running their whole lives. So like each demographic is going to be approaching training just slightly differently, but with all these great tips that you guys have shared. I like the name Grandmaster. 
<laughs> you should get to wear special hats and maybe an apron like the Freemasons do when you get to be that level. Can Let's I talk. Start, we got to start with a quick shout out, though. I have to do yes. like a little family break. So my father-in-law turns 82 next month. He hikes, hikes up and down a mountain every week. And the point is, don't let age limit your perception of what you can do. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. physical conditions might limit you, but age itself is not a limiter. And if you keep you're strong and keep doing as much as you can, you can keep going for a long time. That's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> hey, quick break to thank our friends at AG1, makers of a daily nutritional supplement. They have these handy little travel packs that we like to take when we travel. For example, if we were to like just say theoretically go to Tokyo, just decide, let's go to Tokyo. Those travel packs would go in our suitcase. Could you imagine a scenario like that, Angie? I already have mine packed, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it is really nice to know that you have all your bases covered as far as your nutrition, especially when you travel, where sometimes eating in the healthy manner that you like to in your normal life is a bit hit or miss. And AG1 takes all the guesswork out of trying to combine the right supplements in your daily life and, of course, during travel. And it provides multiple products in one easy scoop. Yep, we're talking about multivitamin, probiotic, digestive enzymes, all the good stuff. Give it a try. Drinkag1.com slash MTA. Ordering for the first time, you can actually get a one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five travel packs with your first purchase. Drinkag1.com slash MTA. All right, we've got two more questions. This one is about postpartum running uh, from Karen. She says, I'm about six months postpartum after having my first child, and I've been following a return to running program for the past 12 weeks. I'm now able to run about five to six miles per run on roads. I'm eager to get back to trail running. Are there any precautions I should keep in mind for trail running after having a baby? Cindy, I'll, we'll kick it over to you first. Yeah, I mean, really, everybody's different, right? We have people that are running marathons and um, all the things with having babies, before, during, after. So I think really just listening to your body, trusting your providers that you're working with and, and making sure that they're giving you good information and you're asking questions. And then starting out doing trail work, you know, six months should be adequate time to be able to go out and do that. But it could be as easy as starting as hiking and walking on trails. It doesn't have to be, you know, right into running on trails. Um, I Other concern I was thinking about is if she was nursing or breastfeeding, just to watch out for um, just hormones and, and uh, hormone relaxant and your progesterone would be higher, which would loosen up those uh, ligaments and, uh, and joints. So just make sure she's protecting and knowing about that risk, because um, that could be something that could make um, potential injury for, um, for trails. Yeah. And then just also if she's nursing, make, watching for hydration and caloric needs um, with doing that. But six months hopefully should be long enough that she'd be away from some of those other um, concerns um, and then listening to her body and, uh, and working with providers. You mentioned you have five kids. Are they all at home still? Yep. My oldest is uh, just turned 17 and my youngest is six. Got a good range of mm -hmm. ages and developmental levels. <laughs> so fun. Fun <laughs> times. Yes. That's neat. Abby, do you have anything to add about the postpartum period? You know, I really second everything Cindy said. Um, I would really spend some time on strength before really hitting the trails too hard. You know, core strength, especially postpartum, but, you know, everything, hips, hamstrings, 
calves, all those things could get pretty beat up with running on trails. So just work on strengthening them as you gradually reintroduce the trail running. And our final question is from an Academy member named Angela and has a question about perimenopause. She says, I'd like to know how running, strength training, and or diet should change as women hit perimenopause. It's a popular topic. There's a lot of us out there who are in it. <laughs> um, I'll just start. I mean, you know, really, as, as I, you know, go into perimenopause, I think think about how my running has changed. You know, every day I don't always feel like being the fastest that I can be. So really like listening to your body and knowing that um, out of the gate, you may have to just change things up. That, um, you know, running may not be as much of a focal point as it was in the past. This is a great opportunity to start adding in that, that good work with strength training and those other cross-training things in because um, that can really help with protecting bones as we get older and, and make that uh, transition. Of course, we always hear about nutrition being so important, especially the protein, so making sure that that is a focal point in the diet. Um, I've never had a problem with, with protein. I love protein, but I know a lot of people do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just thinking about reducing injury risk. So, you know, more warming up, you know, some people just go right into the run. They're like, let's just take our time. And same thing with cooling down, you know, just don't go right in. Just, you know, so make sure we're doing things with more thought to help protect us uh, as we go through that that change. Yeah, it's definitely different for everyone. And, you know, there I think there's a, a bigger range of perimenopause than is actually even recognized. I know a lot of women, um, you know, it can start for some women in their late 30s. Of course, if you've had a surgical hysterectomy, it can start earlier. So there's a huge range and women's experiences are vastly different of mm. perimenopause and menopause. So I think realizing that it's going to be a journey where it's kind of like the great unknown. You can learn from people who have been there, who are on the path, but your journey is going to look different than theirs and giving yourself grace through that process, I think. Abby, do you have anything? I would just add a note of caution to make sure that we don't say that symptoms that correlate with perimenopause are caused by perimenopause because a lot of things kind of hit or a risk of them increase at that stage of life, your 40s to early mid 50s, 60s, you know, a lot of things just show up at that age, thyroid disease, asthma gets worse, as I discovered around 50, you can not have any trouble with asthma or have it controlled, it can suddenly get worse, all kinds of things. Um, Nutrition, if you have your good nutrition, it just becomes more significant later. And it may or may not be hormonally related. So my point is that if you are having like sluggishness, fatigue, weight gain, unexplained weight loss, all kinds of things, um, even menstrual irregularities are a symptom of thyroid disease. So you might think that it's a perimenopause thing, that things are suddenly irregular. It could be your thyroid. So my point is go to your doctor, get things checked, you know, get blood work done, get your thyroid levels checked, iron, vitamin D, vitamin B, calcium, make sure your nutrition is good. Make sure your hydration is good because your symptoms might be as simple as that you're a little bit dehydrated, right? Your sluggishness might just be dehydration. It might be stress. And sometimes the hormonal shifts simply amplify an underlying problem with not dealing with stress well, right? And so we say, do I just need to look at what's causing stress in my life? and learn better coping skills. So part of it is that yes, perimenopause and menopause, 
even month, you know, monthly cycles can cause a ton of things, but a lot of things can masquerade as hormonal issues that are really something else. So just look, make sure you're looking at the whole picture. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think it's really important to get yearly blood work done and be keeping track of some of those things, those numbers, so you know what's normal for your body and you can be an advocate for yourself. Even if someone says this is normal, you know, you don't have to accept that it's true because <laughs> a lot of, you know, throughout history that women have been told that a lot of things are normal and they have to live with them and you really have to do your research and be an advocate for yourself and keep pursuing your goals. Um, and even if they look different, even if the process looks different than you think, you're going to get on the other side and be a strong person for it. So I think that's exciting. It's a time of life where you get to learn more about yourself. <laughs> yeah. I love how you reframe everything. That's that's important to do. Speaking of blood work, we, we used to have Inside Tracker as a sponsor. They make it really easy to get a blood test right from home. So I think we still have a link that'll give you a discount. Um, I'll throw it in the, the show notes to this episode. So boom, anybody that wants to get a blood test done, we do recommend at least once a year seeing what's going on under the hood. And thank you, ladies, for taking time to come on the podcast and share your wisdom and expertise with us. Thanks also for all the good work that you do with clients here at MTA. You guys are changing lives. Yeah, you guys are awesome and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. It's been fun. It's been great being here with you. Okay, we've reached the end of Ask the Coach Q&A. Big thanks to Cindy and Abby for joining us. Also appreciate everyone that sent in a question. We actually have 15 coaches on the team right now, and you know I dare you to come to us with a goal that we haven't helped someone with before. Our coaches have probably done it themselves, maybe except run naked across the desert. I mean, Coach Steve did run across the desert, but I think he was clothed <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, I remember back in the day, I was the only coach and I always felt bad because I could only take a certain number of coaching clients. But now we have this amazing team with expertise that even far exceeds mine. And so we have room to help as many people as possible. So if you are interested about checking into that process, you can go to our website, marathontrainingacademy.com slash coaching. You can also sign up for a call with our head coach to kind of see what the coaching process might look like for you. So once again, that's marathontrainingacademy.com and click on the coaching link. As always, thanks for being a listener. Remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my